not me just being a chaos gremlin over here. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. You're like, <laughs> let's light it all on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the podcast where we have an out-of-body experience as solid beams of electricity, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Fraser, and I'm joined by my co-host, the thunderous think tank, Mike Thompson. Oh, I like that name. Thank you. I like that a lot. That's really good. You might have to write <laughs> that one down. Mm. Just put it in your bio somewhere. Updating my LinkedIn profile, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna get so many jobs. <laughs> All the jobs. <laughs> well, how you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm also okay. All right. Well, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. And if you are enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it would be a huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, because that really helps with discoverability. This week, we are going to be delving into Johnny Thunder. We'll talk about her four-issue DC miniseries, where this character came from, and who else she may resemble in both name and abilities, maybe? And where else we can find her. But before we do that, what is one cool thing that you've read or watched lately, Mike? (laughs) I had a completely different series. I had written up before this. And then like today I was on Marvel Unlimited uh, and I came across the series called Star Wars Dark Droids. It's oh. like it's like a crossover event comic with like a bunch of different tie in issues that just came to Marvel Unlimited recently. I think it may be wrapped up now or it's about to wrap up this month. But um, it is basically a Star Wars spin on kind of a zombie apocalypse story. Okay. It is very interesting. There was some recent event in the Star Wars comics. I don't know what, but apparently during the climax or something, something got released from a cage or something. I don't know. But anyway, there's this like little disc with an artificial intelligence that is also released from containment. And it turns out to be basically kind of like, you know, the self-aware thing in the way that most droids in Star Wars are not. Mm. And it ends up infecting originally an Empire droid who's helping do some cleanup stuff that comes across it. And then it rides back to the Star Destroyer with this thing. And then it starts infecting other droids. Originally, it's kind of like one by one uh, before it starts figuring out how to do this increasingly on a massive scale. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it infects like individual droids and then it infects, I think the systems within the star destroyer. And then it, it basically takes over all the droids on the star destroyer and it starts doing things like it opens the airlock and like takes oh, all shit. the people out. And then like, oh, it, shit. 
advents gas into the command center. It is implied that it takes over surgical droids in the sick bay and like Oh what? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's good. I am impressed at how it is getting increasingly dark. There are nuggets of like body horror right now, and I feel like they're gonna go that way pretty soon. Um, okay. Because the second issue, it shows that it's infected C-3PO and it's using C-3PO to talk to Luke oh, Skywalker shit. and learn more about the force. And then it realizes like, oh, I don't need to be a fully organic being to be able to use the force because it's talking to Luke about his like cybernetic hand and all that. And then it oh. realizes that Darth Vader is like very much like kind of like a full cyborg but he is one of the most powerful force users out there. And if it can take over him, then it can learn all about the force and go from there. So the end of the second issue is, I think him deciding to go after Darth Vader. It's really interesting. I'm very curious to see where it goes. Like I haven't read a lot of the star Wars comics for a while. I really loved Kyron Gillen's Darth Vader series. I thought that was a blast, but it's a very fun story. I really am enjoying how they spun this narrative trope to work within the star Wars canon in a way that I feel like it, it actually works pretty well. And I'm, I'm just really enjoying it so far. And I'm also like really enjoying the fact that it's kind of going down this body horror route and I'm curious to see where it ends up. Oh, that's so fun. Oh my gosh. What an interesting (laughs) comic. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes, but uh, what about you? Well, I've been reading like an actual book. What? I know. We don't, we don't do that here. We don't talk about we that. We do that here sometimes. Well, we do. I know. We don't talk about that here normally. But, it. I. you know, I think this would make a really cool graphic novel. Just okay. starting to read it. So it's called Persephone Station. Hmm. And it's by Stina Liked. And it's from 2021. And so far, it seems like it's kind of a space pirate mining-like it, it's really cool. I'm really only a few chapters in, you know, how I start to talk right. about things when I'm really barely into them. But I really like the characters. They already have a non-binary character. Love it. Yes. And so I'm just like, okay, all of this is amazing. I love to see it. And um, some really strong female characters as well. So it's nice. really, uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun so far. This was actually suggested to me by one of the people who works at Copperfields. Oh, cool. Okay. In Petaluma. Yeah. So that is me. And I'm excited to read more of it. I just need to give myself the opportunity. I'm not very good at just sitting down and opening a book these days. I feel like a lot of people's reading habits have really changed during the pandemic. It took me a long time to get back to the point where it felt like I could read like I used to. Yeah, I've kind of been away from it for a while now, and I don't know when I kind of stopped, but I have all of these books just like sitting around my house that I just don't, <laughs> just not right. reading. So I need to change that. All right. Well, what do you say we roll on to our main topic? Yeah, I'm down, man. All right. Well, today we are talking about. Johnny Thunder. But let's go ahead and provide some resources at the top here. I referenced the DC Fandom database for Johnny Thunder, the Wikipedia article on Johnny Thunder, and this amazing afterword that was in issue number one of Johnny Thunder, the four-part miniseries. 
We should note there are two different spellings of Johnny Thunder, and we are oh, kind of swapping will. between them. <laughs> like, oh, oh, we will. Don't worry. Yeah. And so the reason that I chose this episode is because I found the full mini series of this at Outer Plains in Santa Rosa when we first started the podcast, Mike. I've been holding mm-hmm. on to this since the very beginning. I remember talking with you about this very early on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited to talk about it now. So let's start off with who this person is and who they might be confused for, which is kind of what you were alluding to, Mike. Mm -hmm. Because for the record, we are talking about Johnny Thunder. That is spelled J-O-N-N-I, a.k.a. Thunderbolt. It's not spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y. That's a different person. There is, in (laughs) fact, a Johnny, a male Johnny Thunder, but this is a female J-O-N-N-I, Johnny Thunder. So... As evidenced by me messaging Jessica about a week ago and being like, is this the series you were talking about? Because like, this is the only Johnny Thunder I can find. And it was, oh, I'm looking for J-O-H-N-N-Y and I should be looking for J-O-N-N-I. Exactly. I just sent him a picture of the cover. He's like, oh, that wasn't at all what I had pulled up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can we can see how there might be some confusion. but. This character, Johnny Thunder, was kind of inspired, in a way, Mm. by the male version from the Golden Age. Right. So, the original male Johnny Thunder first debuted in Flash Comics number 1 in 1940 in a strip titled Johnny Thunderbolt. And while there is more to the story of Johnny Thunder, we're not going down that rabbit hole. We're not here to talk about him, okay? So we're here to talk about his female counterpart, created 45 years later. And while these characters are not actually related, their powers are not even really similar. Johnny Thunder is a genie with the ability to warp reality and give good luck. And so he doesn't even really touch what she is working with. Right. It's really a name alone that they have a similarity. So according to an afterword written by Roy Thomas at the end of Johnny Thunder issue number one, the idea for this iteration was thought up by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway after Thomas had written down a list of names of potential superheroes that he wanted to create after he'd gone back to writing for DC Comics. Mm And it's funny because I think right before this, Roy Thomas had been writing the Dungeons and Dragons comics that we talked about. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, oh, the timeline makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, the graphic novels for the Dragonlance Chronicles or whatever they were. That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. You should go check out that episode. That was a good one. That was a fun one. So after deciding that he wanted to do a private eye type comic, he and Conway came up with the idea of Johnny Thunder. But Conway didn't have enough time to dedicate to being a full-time creator of the comic, so they looped in Dick Giordano to illustrate. Mm -hmm. He also looped in his wife, Dan Thomas, to help write the comic, wanting to create a strong, young female character that wanted to be Philip Marlowe. And thus, Johnny Thunder was created. Yeah. Let's talk about the miniseries, because I think this is really where we we build this character. So mm. we'll learn more about this character as we talk about the miniseries. 
So issue number one was published by DC in February of 1985, titled Not in the Stars, But in Ourselves, written and created by Roy and Dan Thomas, art by Dick Giordano, co-plotted and co-created by Jerry Conway, colors by A. Tolan, letters by Bukalis and Orzachowski, with special thanks given to Ernie Colon. We start the issue with our protagonist walking through the rain down the star-studded Hollywood Walk of Fame. We find out that Johnny Thunder has just suffered the loss of her father, Jim Thunder. She reaches the office that she had until recently shared with her father and is stopped by the man in the office next door whose name is Sunshine and who runs a phone answering service. What a thing of the past. (laughs) And Sunshine tells her that she doesn't have any messages, but there was a live one that he sent to her office and was waiting for her. When she gets to the office, however, she finds that the man in question is not quite live, is in fact dead on the floor, and her office is torn the fuck up. There was definitely a struggle. So Sunshine somehow didn't hear that the man had been shot in the chest. So she calls local law enforcement to let them know about the death. Investigating is Detective Mike Sanchez and his partner MacGuffin. We find out through some exposition with these detectives that her father had made her a partner in his private investigating firm just a few weeks before his death, that he was ousted from the police force for refusing bribes, as she says, and that Johnny is the closest thing they have to a suspect. That's Mm -hmm. fun. (laughs) So she gets this call from a mysterious person and sets up a meeting at La Brea Tar Pits and speeds off into the rain. After an unsuccessful attempt at pulling her convertible top up, (laughs) this poor car is just falling apart. It's funny because the way that they draw it, though, it looks really nice. Like it looks very real nice. It's like it's it's got like the uh, the fins and everything. And it's like an all kind of white silver car. It looks legitimately beautiful. I'm like, this is the type of car the collector would kill to own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looks real sleek. But then it's just like, she's having all of these problems with it. She has to try to start it like two or three yeah. times every time. And fun times. So she gets to the tar pits. She waits around. And of course, no one shows up. And she figures out that this was probably a ploy to get her out of the office. Which is totally correct. Because she comes back to find that someone has left her a present. In the shape of a large silver cockroach-looking robot. That was weird. <laughs> like, it, it was looks... weird. <laughs> looks like a crab thing. Like up till this point, the comic feels like kind of like a detective story from like the seventies, early eighties. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, we get this thing that looks like it looks like it was a holdover from that comic series we talked about a while ago called Six from Sirius, where it's like oh, kind yeah. of that that seventies, eighties kind of weird sci-fi. And I'm like, what is this doing here? Exactly. You're no, that's a hundred percent right. That is that does fit the vibe of Six or Serious. So she has this epic battle with this thing where she's shooting it, the bullets bounce off, and she ends up mm-hmm. crashing through her window onto the fire escape and then down into a puddle of muck before she ends up sticking it with an umbrella in just the right place to make it explode. Yeah. Which I I think that was the umbrella that she threw away earlier because it was busted or something like that. And so she ended up stabbing it in the eye. I thought that was a nice touch. I thought it was too. So 
She calls the police and they say that they found a witness that said he hadn't heard anything in the alley. And of course, the police believe him, a man, over Johnny. Mm-hmm. So she storms out to find the evidence that they say they don't have. And then we see the old man holding something that looks suspiciously like of a remote control. So Johnny gets back to her office to find a note from Sunshine telling her that Slim Chance, the singing cowboy actor, had called her. And we learn that Jim Thunder had been a stuntman in his years before the force and had met Slim Chance there. And the man was good for three things. Singing, playing his guitar, and yodeling. Yeah, so he is very clearly meant to be a reference to the now long-dead actor Gene Autry, who was nicknamed the Singing Cowboy. And he was kind of this like really big deal for a while in radio and movies and television for like multiple decades. Okay, nice. Look at you coming through with some infos. Yeah, I got that every now and then. (laughs) So we find out through exposition that with Slim that Jim Thunder had died from what Johnny called an animal attack, that he smoked too many camels and drank too much wild turkey. I thought that was such a funny fucking like line where because originally it's like, oh, it was it was like a heart attack, right? That got him or or something like that. And then, yeah, she's like, no, it was an animal attack. Camels and wild turkey. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's a really good line. (laughs) Really good line. Yeah. (laughs) Slim ultimately had asked Johnny there to see if she had something of value, a gold statue of a lightning lady, as he called it, that Slim had thought to be in Jim's possession when he died. And he offered her ten thousand dollars for it. He offered her $100,000 for it. $100,000. Well, that's even better. Shit. Uh, A cool hundo. A cool hundo. So he goes on to explain that the statue was from a country south of the border, Bolivia or Peru, where two men had found it, with the first bashing the other's head in to be the sole owner of it. So the man was found and turned over to the police and for some reason decided that Jim Thunder was the man to hold on to it for him for safekeeping. Johnny doesn't let Slim know this, but remembers that her dad was going to get rid of this statue, but she really liked it, and he let her keep it, making it into a lamp. Mm -hmm. So she goes home to get it, she wraps it in paper, and takes it to presumably go meet with Slim, but finds a rabbit on the way and picks it up and puts it in her bag to save it. She names it Seamus. Mm -hmm. Her new buddy, Seamus. So she's then met by the man that had been a quote-unquote witness in the alleyway. And she makes the connection that the roach was sent by him. So he tries to shoot her, but she dodges out of the way, except the paper is burned off by, it was like a laser gun that he had. It was burned off by the laser blast. And so she's holding it in her hand, just like straight up, as the man accidentally shoots a large projector, as they were at some like, I don't know, some like planetarium or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Causing an electrical malfunction, at which point she feels a searing pain all over her whole body. She literally then has an out-of-body experience as a pure energy-shaped woman. And she can fly. And she can shoot laser energy beams. (laughs) And she pushes the guy off of a cliff to his death. So she goes back into her body, which is lying just where she left it. Wondering if she's had a bad dream, but when she goes to the edge of the cliff and sees the man's body, she realizes that this was no dream. Right. That's the end of the first issue. Pretty dynamic. <laughs> a lot happens. Like, I was sitting there and I'm like, no, this this is all in one issue. And it's it's not like yeah. a double-sized issue or anything, is it? Like, it's a... No. Uh, no. Yeah. They're just normal, regular, you know, 
30, whatever, 32 page. Yeah. Yeah. So issue number two was published April 1985 and is titled Red Nails in the Sunset. Written by Roy and Dan Thomas, art by Dick Giordano, and an assist by Mark Esposito, co-created by Jerry Conway, colored by Adrian Roy, lettered by L. Lois and Ors. This issue begins with the police having shown up to the scene where the man has fallen to his death, and Sanchez is suspicious because Johnny mm-hmm. is again at the scene of a death. A death. So she explains what had happened, and Sanchez doesn't really seem to believe her. She asks them for a jump because her car wouldn't start, but then she goes to pull out the jumper cables and the figurine like falls out onto the ground, clattering. (laughs) So she picks it up and was holding it as she goes to put the cables on her battery. And without even connecting them, she feels a zap of electricity as the car starts on its own. Right. So she gets home and is relaxing in a robe when she hears someone picking through her mail in the mailbox and tackles the man on the lawn. So she grabs his wallet. He makes an embarrassing comment about already having paid her for last night, (laughs) which makes her momentarily, because there's like a couple walking by and they're like, oh no, clutching their pearls. So this makes her momentarily stop and he gets away, but she knows that his name is Harrison Trump. Yeah. Poor choice of name. Yeah, so, that was one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's a name that's not going to be used. Well and I won't be using it. Yep, <laughs> I, I'm not going to be using it. So she goes back to her office and she finds slim chance and some muscle in the form of a pro linebacker. And Slim takes her bag looking for the figurine only to be attacked by Seamus the Rabbit coming in for the save. And they leave without the statue. So she goes to pick up the package, the statue that she had left in the care of a used bookstore, only to find that it had been stolen. So the shopkeeper describes the person that he thinks took it and figures out that Harrison, I'm just going to call him by his first name, Harry Harrison. His Christian name. has His Christian name. So has figured out that Harry has done this. So she drives to San Francisco to find him. She goes to his office only to find that he isn't in, but says that she's trying to get his wallet back to him. So the secretary just like gives Johnny the address to the nightclub where he's going to be that evening. Oh, yeah. And the secretary is like, you're not the first woman that like, you know, has has dubious taste in men or something like that. And I was like, yeah, oh, good. I love this. <laughs> I'm like, I love you as his assistant. It's great. Yep. So. There's this big poster outside of the club with a redheaded woman wearing a plunging pink dress with a thigh-high slit with the name of Red Nails. That's her name. Right. Appearing at 10 and 12. She then goes to do more reconnaissance, looking in a couple of back windows where she finds Harry tied up and gagged and the woman named Red Nails examining the statue. Johnny uses the butt of her gun to break into the woman's window and confronts her, threatening her with the gun and demanding that the woman give her the statue. The woman instead bashes Johnny on the head, sending her sprawling on the floor where she is just able to touch the statue and again lifts out of her body as a beam of energy, a human thunderbolt, as it were, (laughs) going after the woman and shattering the crystals off of the chandelier. Very dramatic. And zapping the door handle so it was too hot for the woman to turn. 
So Red Nails goes out the window, down the fire escape with Thunderbolt hot on her trail. Thunderbolt loses sight of her and decides to light up the now dark lights of the marquee. But when she does, she realizes that Red Nails is nowhere in sight and also realizes that she's left her body vulnerable. So the last scene is Red Nails looming menacingly over Johnny's prone body and Thunderbolt trying to get to her in time. That's the end of the issue. Yeah, I love the fact that we go from L.A. to San Francisco. I I thought that was really fun because like that's not what we normally see, like especially within DC comics. It's in like fictionalized cities like Metropolis or Gotham or Coast City. And instead it's like, no, it's Los Angeles. Yeah. I don't know what the sunset was like back then, you know, in the the early to mid 80s, because I was a a very tiny child. But I do enjoy how seedy San Francisco is. And I'm really curious how much research they did because the sunset is like pretty residential now. And I'm like, and I'm really curious about this nightclub that Red Nails has and if it was actually supposed to be in the Sunset District or, or what. But also, like, I thought that for a minute that, like, Red Nails and her henchwomen, because they're all women, and yeah. they are very queer-coded. Like, one of them has, yeah. like, like kind of, like, masculine clothes and has a mohawk. I was really curious if Red Nails was supposed to be, like, a drag queen. She's not, oh. but... But I was yeah. like, I was wondering about it because yeah, yeah. It, it felt very queer coded. And thus I was then reading that into it. But no, it's like, no, she's just running like a burlesque club. Yeah. And I'm like, were burlesque clubs a thing by that right. point in time? Like, I don't know. But anyway, it was, yeah, it was really interesting to sit there and, and see my hometown represented this way. And I kind of, I really enjoyed how seedy they made San Francisco. And I'm like, I I don't remember San Francisco being the CD. Maybe it was in certain districts. Yeah. But like, but I grew up like I like my first memories are from right around this era. And I'm like, I don't remember it being like this. But the other thing is that like the seventies to kind of like mid eighties was like kind of that peak sort of urban blight that was going on. Yeah. Like if you, if you look at photos of like New York from around this era, it is wild how much just kind of urban decay there is. And because, you know, people had been like fleeing to the suburbs. Right. And so I don't know for certain if San Francisco was the same way, but it's just, it's a, it's really interesting to see that. Yeah. To see it represented that way. I agree. So Issue number three was published in June of 1985, titled Bolts Across the Bay, and had the same creative team as the prior issue without the assist from Mike Esposito. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) So we pick up right where we left off, with Red Nails threatening Johnny's body with her own gun. She puts herself back together. Johnny puts herself back together, and Red Nails tries to gain information from her, but is also giving us more information about the statue's lore. It's a nice mm. little exposition that we get. That it had been from the Inca, and it was a statue of the lightning god. And as they're having this conversation, her goons come in with Harry, who had managed to get out of his restraints, but had been caught again, because he just can't do anything right. <laughs> Red Nails and her goons, some, like... I gotta say, you were just saying that these are really rad women. They have like yeah. mohawks. Oh and yeah, shit. no, I love yeah. their character designs. It's great. I do too, and they're all riding motorcycles and shit. So they bring Harry and Johnny to what amounts to a giant electrical current conductor, 
wanting to use the statue on the generator. Meanwhile, Johnny and Harry are being strung up by the wrists and dangled from a hook in front of a really big laser. However, (laughs) we'll talk about this later, man. Like this is, it, it is so wild. So wild. It's like, yeah, Red Nails needs, I mean, first of all, her name is Red Nails. Which, yeah, great. I also need her to be twirling a mustache through most of this. <laughs> <laughs> so the statue isn't wanting to work for Red Nails the way it had for Johnny. She's trying. She's holding it. She's mm. She can't figure out what's going on. So the two PIs manage to break free from the hook and jump down. They're fighting the goons along the way. And then Johnny uses the hook to swing over to where Red Nails is, kicking her down, stealing the statue and getting through the door with Harrison just in time with bullets whizzing past her. So they managed to get out, but find that the elevator they had used to get out was some secret one that even the security guard didn't know about. And they're in a completely different building. Mm-hmm. And so they get back to Johnny's car only to have Slim's car screech up and the linebacker like threatening them with a gun to get in the car And she's fully got the statue out at this point. So there's like no trying to hide it. (laughs) So very shortly into the drive, Johnny sees that there's a couple of motorcycles following them and recognizes them as the goons from Red's bar. So she and Harrison bail out of the moving car with the statue into an alley and its pile of trash. And then we get the bombshell that red nails had actually been married to the guy who had been killed in her office the day before johnny figures this out yeah so they get back to her car again but she realizes that she left her keys in her purse in the high-rise office so harry just like hot wires it casually because of course he does yeah and there's a whole thing where they're just like i thought you were like a lawyer or something and he's like oh yeah well i stopped stealing cars when i like got into her got kicked out of law school one or the other it it was a very funny line regardless but exactly and she's like of course you were a lawyer this makes total sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) so as they're leaving they're suddenly met with lightning from above it is red nails and she has figured out how to get her machine up and running and is using the entire pyramid building in san francisco to shoot beams of electricity at the convertible containing the two pis as you do yeah, it's like a so, doomsday weapon by Nikolai Tesla, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're obsessed with Tesla. Yeah. Johnny is holding the statue, and she's hit by one of the bolts of lightning, and she suddenly becomes Thunderbolt again. But Harry thinks she's just, like, passed out. So Thunderbolt's going after Red. The woman's wearing a weird, like, headset that somehow causes pain to Thunderbolt with the press of a button. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Harry's trying to get Johnny to safety, nearly coming in between two cable cars that end up colliding. There's a weird explanation about how like, like it was, it was magnetizing the electricity yeah. was magnetizing things. And then it was like, Oh, well like the cable cars collided. And I was like, I, okay. I'm like, I thought that like there were multiple tracks for the cable cars. Well, like I thought they were drawn, like they were on different tracks, but then they collided. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I was like, okay, like, granted, it's been about 30 years since I rode a cable car in San Francisco, but, like, I seem to vividly recall cable cars passing by each other, and yeah, whatever, whatever, it's fine, it's a comic book. (laughs) It's comics, it's comics, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So Johnny ends up seeking refuge on Coit Tower, on the very tippy top of Coit Tower, and manages to concentrate a bolt of lightning at the spot where Red is electrocuting the woman. Presumably left for dead. Yeah. So I wasn't entirely certain about this. Like this is, this was my, my question was like, because she sits there and she makes a reference to like how red is standing next to a giant metal structure in the middle of a thunderstorm, which is going on around the Transamerica pyramid. I wasn't sure if she summoned the lightning bolt or if it just hit naturally and she watched it. I'm not sure either. It was worded ambiguously. And I was like, it was, I, so it's interesting that we kind of, it's interesting that we had two different takes. Right. Right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Cause I took it as like, she had shot her with her energy bolts. Yeah. I don't you know. Took it as lightning it just, from above, which could have been either one. I didn't hate it. Like, I don't have a problem with either one. I was just like, oh, that's how I read oh, it. Same. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So Johnny goes back into her body and finds that Harry has passed out due to like an accident he had. And he's groggy, but none the wiser that she was anything other than the Johnny Thunder that he knew. Right. I legit thought this was the end of the series, too, until I was like, oh, there's another issue. Like, because it felt like such a huge climax. It did. Truly, it did. I know. I was like, wait, we could have just stopped it right here. Yeah, totally. And it's funny because it doesn't feel like this last, like a lot happens, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel like it. And I was able to sum mm-hmm. it up in like two paragraphs. Right. Which is fascinating because it, like, it, a lot does happen. So issue number four was published in August of 1985 and was titled Farewell My Lightning? Question <laughs> mark. And featured the same creative team as the prior issue. This issue begins exactly where we left off with Johnny and mm-hmm. Harry getting out of San Francisco and back to LA in the convertible. They get pulled over for a traffic violation and Harry just drives off with her car when she gets pulled out of the car. We and need the to statue. Note, yeah, but we also need to note that the violation seems to happen because Harrison is trying to like make out with her while she's driving. Yeah. Literally like catches his chin in her hand and she's like, she has some great line about like, I hope, I hope that your hope comes true or something like that. Yep. He was talking about how he wants to find someone who loves him or something. Uh-huh. And I was just like, damn, damn. Yeah, it was a burn. It was a solid burn. She's like, I'm dude, I'm driving. Yeah, it's like, I got other shit to worry about right now. <laughs> so he just leaves her. So she is taken back to the police station that she's mm-hmm. familiar with, where she again meets up with Sanchez and MacGuffin. And she's, they're just pissed that she has left town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was like, under arrest, whatever. No, exactly. They're like, also. She wasn't a suspect. <laughs> she's like, I literally like went 400 miles and like got out of town. Like, you need to leave me alone. <laughs> so as she's leaving the station, she's threatened at gunpoint to get into Slim's car, driven by, again, the linebacker, and she's taken yeah. to his mansion. As they're walking up the stairs in this mansion, she, like, kicks the linebacker down the stairs and just, like, presumably kills him. <laughs> and, like, Slim, zero fucks. He's like, that, eh, whatever. There you go. Henchmen are a dime a dozen. Exactly. And then we get the villain exposition, telling Johnny and the reader about how he met the characters involved in finding the statue and how he'll get away with everything. Yada, yada, right? Mm-hmm. So she grabs his precious guitar knowing that he will not want anything to happen to that bad boy. 
but he decks her with it, at which point she turns into Thunderbolt without having the statue in her possession. So she fries him to death. You know, he's holding on to the guitar. The electricity runs through it. He is just, he's done. He's toast. Yeah, he's toast. Yeah. So she goes back into her body and she is horrified. So there seems like there's some semblance of lack of control when she's in this form. So she runs back to her office to find that her car has just like been left outside. So she's like, well, that's promising. Yeah. (laughs) And that Sunshine has once again been knocked out. Poor Sunshine, man. Poor Sunshine. He definitely does not need any more blows to the head because he is going to have permanent brain damage at this point. There's a note from Harry to meet him at the Hollywood Bowl to get the statue back. So they meet up. They're exchanging words. And while they're doing this, Red Nails shows back up because this motherfucker wasn't dead after all. (laughs) So Red threatens Johnny, yells for her to throw the statue. And Johnny's like, whatever. She does. And Red sends two of her motorcycle babes to, like, run them down, which... This plan wasn't great to begin with because they literally had them driving it's so at each other. Weird. I'm it like, what? Stupid. <laughs> so she has both, she has both herself and Harry jump just in time for the motorcycles to like crash into each other and explode. And then there's, of course, the final showdown with mm. Red, who's still threatening Johnny with a gun, and she's holding the statue, but Johnny starts to change form into Thunderbolt. And she's able to stop herself, and then she hugs the other woman, who is immediately shot in the back by Sanchez. Right. And he showed up just in time. So we end the issue with Sanchez and Harry leaving the Hollywood Bowl with Johnny, who snaps her fingers to turn off the power in the building. Yep. That's it. That's, that's it. The, that's the end. Yeah. So... Let's let's go through some maybe some thoughts, some questions I have for you when we were reading this issue. Yeah, I, issues, I had yeah. a lot of thoughts about this issue. Like honestly, I didn't have any bad thoughts about it. I want to preface this, yeah. but like I had yeah. it just I this was one of the series that made me think a lot. Yeah. Well, how did you feel about Johnny Thunder's character compared to like other DC female leads before and after her time? I loved her. Like, I mean, like. <laughs> Like she has so much agency in this story. It feels like she's written like a man, like, like a male character. Um, yeah. Like I said, like, I love how Harry was trying to like kiss her and she was like, nah, I'm good. Like, I thought that was really yeah. funny. I, I loved how, how she was never really made to be helpless. Like, you know, there were situations where people were getting the drop on her and stuff, but she was always shown to be very capable. Um, right. Always wore an impeccable suit. Loved it. Um, yeah, like, and I mean, like also just like shown to be a very kind of witty, quick thinker, like with that line about wild turkeys and camels. I thought that was great too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I compared to a lot of other female characters that we have read series, you know, like, like basically that we have read their own kind of like self-contained miniseries of from this era. I think this is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, that we've read. Yeah, absolutely. Before that, it was Dakota North. But honestly, like Dakota North was, it was really fun, but it was also a lot of nonsense and just weirdness. This has its own sense of like weirdness and like nonsense, but it feels, it feels like we don't have to suspend disbelief as much. Yes, absolutely. Other than that, that large cockroach. That... 
That was weird. Like, did we ever find out exactly what was going on with that? Like, I don't remember reading an explanation for the giant weird space cockroach robot. No, I think it was just, I don't know. No, okay. there was no explanation for that in and of itself. Okay. <laughs> like the dude, yes. Like we figure out the dude was in the whole plot, but like the the cockroach, no, mystery. Maybe there was a line about it being tied to advanced technology of Tesla or something like that. I just glossed over Maybe. it. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That would, I mean, that part would kind of tie in but i say kind of yeah kind of okay <laughs> kind of yeah i really liked her too and you can tell that she was written in part you know with with heavy influence from a woman right yeah and that i you mean know? it felt like it felt like she was being written by a woman exactly so that was that was very nice well what are your thoughts on the origin of her powers i mean it's fine origin stories very often feel a little clunky and you know, in this one, it was kind of like, oh, she inherited a, a sort of mystical artifact that we don't get a lot of explanation on. I did enjoy how she had turned the statue into a lamp. I thought that was like actually kind of a funny little thing. Yeah. And, and also it feels fitting because it's like, you know, tied to electricity, blah, blah, blah. Um, Like it didn't it didn't feel amazing, but it also didn't feel particularly bad or contrived or anything like that. Like, you know, it was it was fine. Yeah. You know, with this sort of stuff, it's like, all right, we need to get through this just so we can actually see your powers in action. But yeah. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of had the same thoughts. It did feel a little clunky and like they had to do a lot of back exposition about like, oh, these two dudes mm -hmm. like went and stole, you know, property from another culture. Yeah. And like, you know, so that was a little like uh, whatever, a little yucky, but it's, you know. Yeah. Isn't that always the story? It's tale as old as time. Yeah. So. I mean, well, and I liked how it was just like, oh, they stole it from this from a country down south. And you're like, okay, like cool. Uh, like from the lens of 40 years later, it's like that doesn't yeah. that doesn't Ugh. feel great. Like <laughs> no. And I mean, speaking of not feeling great about some of that stuff, they had a lot of really strange, and I, I feel like they didn't need this. They had a lot of really strange, like, anti-Native American things that they were saying, like, really racist against Native like, Americans, like, really weird little quips that didn't need to be there, like, at all. Yeah, it's it's weird to think about, especially now where we're getting, like, all this really great kind of, like, entertainment content from Native American creators, and so it feels very alien yeah, it just was weird and it felt really kind of like shoehorned in and gross. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what did you think about Red Nails as a villain? Do you think that she and Johnny were well matched adversaries? Mm, yes and no. I think that Red Nails feels like a character straight out of a 1940s cartoon, like complete with her doomsday weapon. On the Transamerica Pyramid, which like, right. okay, come on. I liked her a lot as a character, but it felt like she had been transplanted from an entirely different story. Like Johnny feels very much like the main character of a, a pulp detective story, while Red Nails comes across more like a James Bond villain hiding under the surface. Like, yeah, like when, when it's yeah. just like, oh, well, she's like, you know, running this club and she's got hench people. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And then it's like, I'm going to leave you hanging in front of a target chained up with a laser. I'm like, what? I know. It's like, <laughs> let me 
please go ahead and twist that mustache a little bit more. I was just like, what is going on here? And then, you know, again, Doomsday Weapon, Transamerica Pyramid. I was like, this this feels like one of those old like Fleischer cartoons with Superman, you know, where Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, all right, whatever. It feels very silly. I also didn't hate it. Like it's a yeah. comic book, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, I had similar thoughts on it too. It's it, it did feel a little a little strange. I did like that she was paired up with another woman. Yeah. I mean, they definitely, they, you know, they passed the Bechdel test for sure. It was great. But yeah, she was, she was definitely an interesting character. I did like that they kind of, they were like, oh, we've seen the last of her. No, you haven't. Yeah. I did like that. The whole thing where she's like, she's hit by a bolt of lightning and it's very heavily implied that she is, she is done and dusted. She's gone. And then she yeah. shows up with nary a scratch. She and has like, like one thing of like tape over her forehead. Like, I don't know what that's supposed to have done for you in like a lightning bolt situation, but okay. If this had been continuing on, I think that would have actually been a great origin story for the villain where they have similar powers. Yes. And then maybe instead of like rocking that look, it could be that she has some like serious scars or burns or something like that. Like right. when people are right. struck by lightning, they get those... um. It's like a it's like a scar pattern that basically yeah. burns that burns along people's bodies and it mimics like the circulatory system because right. that's like that's created the, that like, you know, has boiled the blood or whatever. I don't know exactly how it works, but, but it looks really cool. It's actually really yeah. interesting. People who are struck by lightning and survive, they oftentimes have these these scar patterns that are fascinating. Right. And I think yeah. that could have made for such a cool villain look with her. And that could have actually been a lot of fun where it's like her versus Johnny and like, you know, being angry about her stolen beauty because she is this very gorgeous, curvy woman that always wears outfits that expose a lot of skin that, oh man, give me this comic. I would love to write this. Yeah. Her job is performing. So it's like, it makes a lot of sense why that would stop her from doing what she had done prior, you know, Mm -hmm. to make a living, her passion, you know, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. 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 But I, but I mean like it's fine. Like it's silly, it's fun. Like I didn't I didn't really have any complaints about it. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Well, what did you think about the art? I thought it was great. I loved how it did not feel male gazy. Johnny never felt sexualized in any way. Um like Red Nails sort of was, but that was like in keeping with her character, which was fine. Right. Yeah, I I had all of the agency there, though. You know what I mean? Red Nails did. It was her club as she's walking out of the club. And I didn't mention this, but as she's walking out of the club, they're like, oh, you're supposed to be on in like 10. She's like, I'm not. I'm I'm done. Like, I'm I'm taking a night. Figure it out. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is that like a lot of comics that feature very attractive female characters, but are created by male creators, really sexualize those women. And, yeah. and like, you know, you look at comics from the 90s, like the Marvel swimsuit issues, which we eventually right. were going to do an episode on. But like I I was at a barbershop in Petaluma recently and they had a page from one of the Marvel swimsuit issues where the foremost character is Psylocke in a bikini. And it's like, right. and I'm like, don't get me wrong. It's a great image. It's really fun. The whole scene is great. But it's like, oh, it is very obvious that this is a sexualized character. Yes. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I did like that. And I liked that she looked very androgynous. 
Yeah. In the way that she dressed in a lot of those scenes. It yeah. Was amazing. Like yeah. wearing a full suit. I'm like, go off, queen. Yes. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Well, Johnny Thunder appears as the only superhero, quote unquote, in mm-hmm. her miniseries. What other DC superheroes would you have paired her with if she had had a longer series and, you know, potentially Man. the opportunity to have some super guest appearances? Uh, I. Mm. Oh, you have opinions. I have opinions. I think <laughs> I think she would have slotted into the DC universe so nicely. I'm approaching it more from kind of like a modern perspective because I think she is due for a comeback. But I think yeah, I think she would be a great match for other street level characters. I could see her working with Renee Montoya's version of the question. Like on, you know, they they get roped into the same case simultaneously somehow. Yeah. Or like I could see Lois Lane working with her to like just conduct background investigations or like, you know, try to scavenge some extra information for a story. I could see her setting up shop in Gotham City and then working as an ally for the Bat family in Gotham City police. This is a character who I think would slot really easily into the rest of the universe as a supporting character who later on saves the day with her superpowers, but does not rely on them normally. Mm. She is a character that I think would kind of be able to straddle that fence of street level and superhero. Where like at some point she ends up crossing over with the Justice League by accident. It could be a lot of fun. I don't know, but that's that's just me. I mean, what about you? Well, yeah, I, uh, I don't, you know, it's hard because, you know, I'm less, I'm so much less familiar with DC characters mm-hmm. than I am with Marvel characters, but I, I think it would be really funny if she kind of did like a, an anti-hero kind of thing. Like if mm-hmm. she was a misunderstood, like if she ended up in Gotham somehow and she was misunderstood to be, yeah, you know, a villain, mm-hmm. but ended up, you know being able to turn things around with Batman or something like that, or end up like somehow making friends with like, you know, Catwoman, And that's how she ends up on the wrong side because she's like, yeah. Oh, female empowerment. This is great. But then not realizing, Oh, wait a second. Like she's on the wrong side of maybe the fight for justice. Yeah. You know, so that might be kind of fun. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like that's a lot of the bat family is it's like Batman himself is a yeah. character that kind of straddles that street level cosmic level fence because he's batman but like all of all of his immediate allies pretty much are street level i just had a thought which is i think she would actually work really well with some of the other kind of like more offbeat heroes like the doom patrol or yeah actually one of my favorite characters of all time is called resurrection man and his whole shtick is that Hmm. he dies and then he gets he because they, they 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 eventually explain all this but like he has nanotechnology in his body that will resurrect him. Mm. And then it turns out he had this already existing superpower, which was that when he would die, he would come back and be reincarnated and then live through his full life naturally. But he would have a different superpower and he would always remember his past lives. The comic itself was, you know, he shows up, he has memory loss and then he resurrects within a matter of minutes. And then he has a power that is different. And it was a really interesting comic because by and large, he was largely a street level character where it was like, oh, well, you know, he like I remember at one point he gets killed by like a pain overload and then he reincarnates as a woman because women mm. have natural like it was talking about it, like 
you know, naturally women have a higher pain tolerance. I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's more along the lines of women just throughout their lives put up with more shit. And like, we have to. Yep. When I was a ski patroller, women were often better patients. They would represent a higher pain tolerance, but it was also, it was always the ones who had been through childbirth. Right. And dudes were always the ones who were just sitting there and howling the whole time. And yeah, I'm like, same thing with tattooing. That's what I've that's what yeah. I've heard from like artists and other people who have gotten tattooed. It's like women are always they sit really well, and then they're yeah. like, like I tell my artist to go take a break if he needs to. Like there are times where he's like, "Hey, I gotta get up. I have to go pee." I'm like, "Go for it, man. I'm yeah. doing work. Like yep. <laughs> I'm like clocked in." Great. But yeah, like I think she would work really well in a lot of different ways, and it <laughs> genuinely bums me out. That she does not seem to be a larger part of the DC universe. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. Because she did show up again. Okay. She ended up in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. Which would that would have been right around the same time that this series was coming out. So that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So she helped the Star Spangled Kid against Nodor and aided Infinity Inc. with an alien problem they were having. She also remained a member of Infinity Inc. until okay. the death of Skyman. So she was in, I believe, a total of 45 issues. Oh, okay. Including her. So I, I believe it's like 41 or 42 issues okay. that she was actually in within Crisis on Infinite Earths. I am not as familiar with Infinity Inc. I know of it. I know the basics of it, but like I haven't really read it. Same. That's really that's really interesting. But yeah. like have we seen her since then? Like I feel like no. I feel like I haven't come across her at all. No, um, she's she has not shown up okay. since then, which is such a bummer. That's pretty much the end of Johnny Thunder. I'm hoping that this character will be brought back at some point in the future, but there's been literally no indication that anything like that will happen. So there's no news reports that I've seen. There's no there's there's no updated information beyond the things that she came you know the things that she was in with the crisis yeah i wonder if tom king is going to bring her back at some point because he's been doing a lot of stuff with kind of like older obscure characters like he did he did a a maxi series of the omega men he did one on adam strange and mr miracle Mm. i think he's just wrapping up one now called danger street and what it is is it's taking characters from the first issue special series from the 70s and yeah. like, and a lot of them are kind of like weird cult characters. So, okay. I feel like she is a cool character, and I would not be surprised if at some point we see her come back. And you know how successful it's going to be, we'll we'll have to see. But who knows? Gosh, I hope so. This would be so fun. Yeah. Well, that's it for Johnny Thunder. What do you say we move on to our break wrinkles? Yeah, let's do it. All right, well, we have reached Brain Wrinkles, which is that one thing comics or comics related that's been knocking around in our noggins since the last time we talked. So, Mike, you're up, my man. What you got? That's a bummer. <laughs> Sorry. No, why are you like this? I, I'm usually the bummer. It's okay. I, I got something good this week. You're fine. Okay. So, like, you know, anyone who has been alive and paying attention throughout the year of 2023 knows that, like, there's just been like a lot of weird, unprecedented numbers of layoffs, especially within entertainment and technology. Yeah. But it feels like it's accelerating. A number of entertainment companies have announced that they are planning layoffs or they've just started laying people off. Today, it got announced that like Etsy is cutting 
you know, several hundred jobs. Yesterday, Hasbro cut, I want to say, over a thousand jobs. And it was hitting both the Magic and Wizards team, or it was, and it was hitting the Jeez. Wizards of the Coast team, even though Magic the Gathering yeah. and Dungeons and Dragons were like pretty much the sole reason that Hasbro has been like profitable. Right. Spotify recently cut 17% of their workforce. Oh, and then apparently Paramount is getting ready to like lay a bunch of people off because uh, what's her name? Redstone is mulling to sell Paramount. And it is so strange where we're living in this time where companies are profitable and they're they're actually doing okay but then they're just like laying people off and talking about efficiency and they want to squeeze basically three people's work out of one person but i am really nervous about what this means for comic books especially from bigger companies like dc and marvel right you know because dc and marvel are both owned by pretty big corporate giants uh and I am very nervous that we are suddenly going to have full-time staff from these two companies who are laid off. And then the people that are left behind are going to be scrambling to put out content. And the thing is that they're also being forced to churn out more content because, you know, right. com- comic sales are still doing very well. But, yeah. you know, all these companies are just like emphasizing efficiency. And, and I'm worried about what that means creatively because I feel like they're going to be forced to just kind of pump out the same shit over and over again. Cause like, well, it sells right. well and it's a quantity over quality thing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you go back and look at comics from like the fifties and sixties of like Superman covers, you can see that they were rehashing the same plot lines every couple of years. And right. And the idea was that they, they were basically appealing to a certain age demographics and then those kids would stop reading it. And so it was safe to reuse the storylines again. Yeah. I am very nervous that we're going to see something similar to that. I don't know how closely it's going to follow that, that trend that we had back then. And I also think that it'll probably lead to kind of like a boom for independent comic creators, like, you know, but I think it'll also drive a lot of really talented people out of the industry. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I could be completely way off. It's just, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the long-term ripple effects of stuff based on how I look at things, based on the skills that I had to start using when I was a technology journalist and, and writing about all this stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm not always right, but I'm right a lot of the time. So who knows? Yeah. I I hate it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm starting this off on a downer. Please tell me you got something better to end the episode on. I do. I'm going to send you something. Okay. Because our podcast here is about, you know, kind of pop culture and comics. And Mm -hmm. I have something that so, so explosively mashes up the two. Okay. So, Mike, I just sent you a picture. What does that look like? (laughs) What does that Uh, look like? I mean, it looks like someone took the i think it's the dazzler graphic novel or dazzler number one issue i can't remember which one is which and then mash it up with taylor swift as dazzler am i am i reading what i that need right? you to know is that 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 right there is a variant cover of taylor swift's biographic comic motherfucker are you kidding me i'm not uh, kidding you. i have to buy this now i saw this come through from the Hollywood Reporter, 
and it just kind of popped into my like things you might be interested in. I was like, bitch, I'm interested. Clicked on it, you know, and I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, which I'm still kind of in because a lot of her costumes kind of have that silvery kind of dazzler esque Mm -hmm. kind of look to begin with. But you know how Taylor Swift fans are like, like conspiracy theorists. Yeah. Also. Um, well, so they think that she might be leaving Easter eggs saying that she is going to be Dazzler. In the MCU. And so they are speculating that she is going to be in making a cameo in Deadpool. Oh, that's great. I love this. Dazzler. And so there's all this speculation. I like articles, articles of speculation, like not just people on the web. Like, we're talking, like, news coverage of the speculation. Mm-hmm. So there is a chance that T. Swift may be making her Marvel comics. I mean, yeah. she's she's already, she's jumping in. One, I would she love is, that. She is entering into Marvel comics with just this variant cover alone. That is so good. And I'm not a Swifty. Like, I'm not, like, I, I like, I respect like i don't not like taylor swift but i'm not like somebody who's gonna pay thousands of dollars to like go see the heiress tour like i'm not gonna pay to go see it in like a theater i'm like i'm kind of in the same boat back when i ran i ran a lot to uh shake it off like that was one of my go-to songs i like a lot of her songs and if they're on the radio like i'll dance to them i'll sing along you know but i just think it's so cool i think it would be so interesting to see her get into the Marvel universe. And wouldn't it be so fucking cool if Taylor Swift was like Dazzler in a movie, in a fucking Dazzler movie? How cool would that be? I would love that. Marvel, are you listening? (laughs) She's pretty nerdy too, if I remember right. Like she is, she's incredibly nerdy. I remember there was a story where she was like talking about how she and I think her best friend went out on, it was either for Halloween or they decided to go to a Comic-Con or something like that. And she was like, yeah, we basically, we, we dressed as Wookiees and I bought the really nice Wookiee costumes. And so she was like, so we just went outside and got to chill out with a bunch of folks and didn't have to worry about getting hounded for autographs and stuff. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Oh my gosh. I mean, Taylor Swift in the MCU would certainly be more enjoyable than her and Cats, which. (laughs) Oh my God. Anything is more enjoyable than anybody in Cats. I never saw it and I don't want to. I'm not trying to curse my life in that way. I'm going to tell you about how this went down. So Sarah was like a big fan of cats. Okay. Like, yeah, sure. Like legit fan. I was like, not really that interested in it until I heard what a disaster it was. And me? then I was, and then I was like, let's go see it. Cause you know, it's me. You were like, perfect. Yes. Perfect. Sarah is driving that night. So I get to go and have several Moscow mules before we go and see this movie. So I'm already like kind of lit. Okay. Yes. Then, the way to experience it. We go, first of all, I've never received a more sarcastic, enjoy your movie, sir, from a ticket usher before. Like, (laughs) oh no. So we go in, I'm very pleasantly buzzed. So they start doing the songs in this movie and Sarah keeps getting angrier and angrier. And she starts hissing out hatred about like how they're fucking up the songs because they're doing them completely differently from the musical and she doesn't like it and they're terrible which makes me just laugh even harder so first of all i'm laughing my ass off at just how batshit this movie is and then second of all i'm watching sarah seethe in her seat okay and then i'm sitting there and giggling more and then i realize my laughter patterns there are other people doing the same thing and i'm like 
motherfucker, there are other people here in the theater with other people <gasps> who are getting mad about this. <laughs> so it's like you hear this giggling and then you hear like muttering from other people and then you hear even louder giggling, which I think we all kind of clued into it about the same time, which just made us all laugh even Ooh. more. Oh, man. I don't ever need oh to see gosh. that movie again. It was dreadful. Like, but that was legit one of my favorite moments in the movie theater. First of all, that's like one of my favorite dates with Sarah. It's one of my favorite memories. And when someone was Aww. asking us about like what our favorite memory is as a couple, both of us cited that for different reasons. But yeah, it was. <laughs> but yeah, Taylor Swift is not great in that. And I don't really blame her for it. But. <laughs> but. At any rate, like, God, I want to see that. Hey, Taylor Swift, if you want to come on our show, shit, please do. That'd be pretty great. Yeah. Give us the news first, please. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so yeah, that is that is my brain wrinkle. And, you know, ending on a better note than yours. <laughs> you. Yikes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike had another downer that he told. He was like, I don't want to talk about this on the podcast because it's mm-hmm. too much of a downer. But he mm-hmm. gave me a bigger downer. And I was like, thanks, Mike. I was real mad. a shit sandwich, why don't you, with like the shit on the outside. <sighs> I'm sorry. Like I, just, I needed to vent That's about okay. it to somebody and I couldn't you vent did. about it to Sarah because she already hears me vent about that topic often enough. No, it's okay. It's totally fine. No. You know, you're, it, this is a safe space. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for our episode for this week. We will be back next week for a dollar bin discovery on a fun, fascinating topic. Don't know what it is, but it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks from now, we will be doing another deep dive. On something. Who knows what it is? Something. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know yet. (laughs) But until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California. 94951 and Pengrove is spelled P-E-N-N-G-R-O-V-E Send us stuff. (laughs) If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.